Hey, uh, I'm going to ask you a big, hard theological question right now. How do you respond when you see those flashing blue lights in your rearview mirror? <laughs> now, I know some of you really well, and uh, I'm pretty sure there's a cuss word that comes out of your mouth. And some of you I know really well, there's probably a string of curse words that, that come out of your mouth because I mean, we get upset, right? You see that in the rearview mirror, you get upset about that. But I think the second thing you probably do is you pray. You spend some time in prayer, you're like, God, I go to church. I gave $5 last year. I'm working on praying. I'm reading the Bible a little bit. Would you please, would you please not let this police officer give me a ticket? But then the police officer comes and they give you a ticket. Now, let me ask you, do you get mad at the police officer? Probably a little bit, right? And, and then you're mad at yourself because you know you were speeding. But so often we get mad at God. We're like, God, come on. I'm living a good life. I'm doing the things you've asked me to do. And I prayed and, uh, and you didn't answer my prayer. Now, this is really a simplistic example, but I think this is how we often live our lives. That when it comes to our relationship with God, we think if we follow Jesus, if we, if we go to church, if we pray, if we read the Bible, if we give a little bit, if we're nice to little old ladies, then when life gets tough, God's going to swoop in. God's going to jump in because we ask for that help and God's going to take care of us. Because what we do is we equate the good that we do with this expectation that we have of God. That God's going to reward all of our goodness in life when we need God the most. There are these moments in our lives where you have probably asked for God to help to guide, to support, to give you direction. And maybe your prayer has been, hey, hey God, I am, I am I'm stuck in this valley. Like I am wandering in this wilderness. I am lost in, in these storms. And God, where are you? Why, why aren't you answering my prayers? Why aren't you leading me out of, of this? And, and, and we feel like God has just kind of forgotten about us. We feel like God has gotten to the place of just leaving us alone. It's like God has God things to do and I'm not that, that important. And, and maybe God just doesn't even care. So what do we do in our lives when God doesn't meet our expectations of God? When God doesn't answer those prayers or God doesn't answer the way that we want? Well, many times we blame God. We, we get angry at God. We're disappointed with God. But how do we respond because that is so important in this connection that we have with God. So that's what we're going to talk about today as we continue this series, God With Us. We're, we're going to talk about these expectations that we have of God. And, and we're going to talk about, are, are they realistic expectations? Are, are we asking too much of God? Are we not asking enough of God? And, and what do we do when God doesn't seem to be answering those prayers? We're going to be looking at a passage out of Matthew Matthew chapter 11 is where we're going to spend most of our time today. And uh, it's, a, it's a conversation that's happening between Jesus and one of his close connections, a guy named John. Matthew 11, starting with verse 1, says, When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus... Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? 
A little background on the story here. This is about six to 12 months after Jesus has been baptized uh, and starts his ministry. He's been baptized by this guy here, this guy named, named John. Now, John and Jesus, there's a family connection. They're actually cousins. But uh, there, there's something about John that, that maybe you know him as John the Baptist, right? Uh, that does not mean he's part of the Baptist denomination, okay? Some people think that there's no connection. That, that denomination came way after John the Baptist. His actual title was John the Baptizer, now, I don't know why they translated it to Baptist and not Baptizer, but that's what they did. And the reason they would call him John the Baptizer was because, guess what? He baptized people. He was going to Jewish people and he was saying, hey, here's the deal. You're not really following God. You really haven't given yourself up to God. And you need to do that. And he said, here's how you do this. You're baptized. And so he's going around this region. He's telling people about Jesus and they're being baptized. Now, his other role is he's rolling out the red carpet for Jesus. Jesus is going to be coming, uh, is on his way, and so John's job is kind of helping prepare the way for Jesus when Jesus comes. And of course, as we see here, Jesus is already there doing uh, his preaching and miracles and, and living out his life too. But John is telling everyone about who Jesus is. Now there's one thing about John that uh, you need to know is that he couldn't, he couldn't stand sin. And so if you were sinning, he was going to call you out on it. Uh, there's a king at the time there of Israel and uh, he had a brother and the brother had a wife and the king and the brother's wife have an affair and then the king says well I'm going to take your wife as my wife and so he does that and she becomes the queen. John jumps in and says like you, you can't do that. Like this is against Jewish law. This is against you know the laws of God. You, 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 can't, you can't do this and the king and the queen like, well, we don't care. This is what we're going to do. And so they, they go and they throw John into prison. And so this is where John is. John is in prison. Uh, he is waiting there. And he sends his disciples to go ask Jesus this question that we read here in Matthew 11. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Now, scholars say, some scholars say, there are three questions that John's really asking here with this one question he asks. The first question is, hey, Jesus, are you the Messiah that the Old Testament prophecies talk about? And then the second question is, hey, if you are this Messiah, how are you showing people? How are you living that out in your life? And the third question is, hey, if you are this Messiah and you're doing all these miracles, can you bust me out of this joint? Because John doesn't want to be there, right? I mean, John's a, a wilderness guy. Again, if you know his story, he loves, he loves the great outdoors. He loves open spaces. And yet here we have him found in, in this prison, probably this little small space, maybe four walls if he's lucky. More than likely, there's not a window there. And so here is where John finds himself. He, he's stuck in, in this prison. And, and I'm sure in his mind, he's like, Jesus, I, I've rolled out the red carpet for you. Like, I've prepared the way for you. I have, man, I have set you up for success. And oh, by the way, we're family. Um, could you jump in here and could you save me? Here's what Jesus' response to John was in verse 4. Jesus says, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. 
In the Old Testament, we have this book called Isaiah, and Isaiah is a, a prophet. And as you read through the book of Isaiah, you find that Isaiah is prophesying about what was happening currently for the nation of Israel in Isaiah's time. But he was also prophesying about the future, specifically about this Messiah to come. It was, it was all pointing towards who Jesus is. Uh, the verse that we've been focused on, and we'll get to it in a little bit here, in Matthew 1.23, where it says, His name will be called Emmanuel, God is with us. That actually comes from one of the prophecies of Isaiah. When we read this here in, in Matthew, Jesus is reciting the characteristics of the Messiah as it pertained to the prophecies that Isaiah had shared. And one of the prophecies that Isaiah shares, shared came out of Isaiah 61. I just want to read that briefly. Verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. So what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 11 is he's pulling from multiple areas from the book of Isaiah. Uh, chapter 29, chapter 35, and of course here from chapter 61. But if we look at what he says here in Matthew, you'll find he leaves out a, a really big important part from Isaiah 61. Captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. John knows the prophecies of Isaiah. He grew up in these teachings. I mean, he is the prophecies of Isaiah. He's a piece of that. So he knows exactly what Jesus has left out. John's asking Jesus, all right, if you're the Messiah, and if you're doing all these great things, can you get me out of this prison? And Jesus says, I am the Messiah. I am doing those miracles. And sorry, but you're going to be stuck there. Put yourself in John's place in that prison cell. How would you respond? You'd be like, well, <laughs> Jesus. Look, look at all the work I've done. I mean, look at what, what I've been doing. I've been setting you up for success. I mean, we're, we're family members. Uh, we're connected and I'm a good person. I've lived this really good life. And look, I'm calling people out on their, their problems and their sin. And, and like, shouldn't you save me? Like, God, where are you in this? Why are you helping me get out of prison? I mean, I can't imagine what that was like for John. But, but the connection is, I think for many of us, that's the theology that we believe in about Jesus too. That if we follow Jesus, if we do all the right things, if we're a good person, if we give to the guy holding a sign at the corner, then our relationships and our marriages and our finances and our job, all that stuff's just going to fall in the line. It's going to be perfect. And so we're always going to be happy and full of joy. We're always going to be satisfied. We're, we're going to sort of enjoy this, this perfect life. And the reason is we believe that God is going to reward our goodness whenever we need God to do that. How do we feel when we are in the valleys and the wilderness and the storms of our life and God doesn't jump in? How do we feel when God doesn't respond? How do we feel when God doesn't answer the prayer we want, the way that we want God to answer that prayer? We, we feel like John, right? We, we feel stuck in that prison cell. We probably feel lost and broken 
and hurt. We get mad at God. We get disappointed in God. We ask questions about God. And again, we're really not any different than John probably felt there in that prison cell. But I want you to notice something here in the story. Jesus actually affirms the work of John. Look at verse 11. As John's disciples were leaving, excuse me, verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath or wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Here's Jesus who says, Hey, John, he's the best of the best. Hey, John, you, you know those scriptures in the Old Testament? They're, they're pointing to John. John does amazing work. He's doing incredible things. And, and here's Jesus who's praising that. And so we would think of all the people that God would jump in to save. John should probably be number one on that list. Again, for us, we think, hey, John did good work for God, so God should help John out. But those are our expectations of God. See, in our expectations of God, we'll say something like, I go to church, I pray, I, I give, I serve, I'm in a group, I read the Bible, I don't steal, I don't lust, I don't kill, I don't hate, I don't pull for the commanders. And so if I do, <laughs> I think that's in the Bible. If I do these things, then, then God should always answer my prayers, right? Look at this really good life that I'm living. And so I'm, if I'm living this good life, then whenever I need God, God will jump in and save me. And we go through life thinking this is the case, but that's not the way God works. And you know what? We don't like that God very much. Because we live this life where we do these good things and we follow these, these ideas that we believe in and, and they're not bad things. I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying we get to this place where we have this expectation that God's gonna take care of us every single time when that happens. But but then God doesn't heal the cancer. God doesn't prevent the sickness. God doesn't get us pregnant. God doesn't fix our finances. God doesn't get us out of prison. God doesn't fill in the blank, whatever that thing may be for you. And so when God doesn't meet our expectations, we get upset with God and we turn away from God. But just because God doesn't meet our expectations doesn't mean that God's not working. In fact, we, we see that in the story or this uh, communication conversation that Jesus is having. I left out verse 6, and I want to go back to that. Here's what it says. Jesus says, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Now, these words right here were meant as encouragement to John. John, if you stay strong, if, if you stay focused, if you do not give up on God, even, even when you have these big questions, even when you're in this, this place that you, you can't get out of, even when you're suffering, even if you're, you're hurt, if you stay focused on God, John, you will be blessed. 
God blesses those who don't fall away because of what God didn't do. God blesses those who don't fall away because of what God didn't do. Now, if you know the story of John, you know he never leaves that prison cell. There's no final goodbyes for John. Jesus doesn't show up one day to say, hey, John, man, I'm sorry. I just couldn't do this for you. you know, God told me I couldn't do this. I'm not going to do it. There's no final hug there. Um, John remains in that prison until the day he is executed by being beheaded uh, by the king's people. That's where his life ends. God never jumps in to save John. And so we read what Jesus just said about the blessing, and then we think about what just happened here with John, and I don't know about you, but I'm kind of like, that's not the blessing I want, right? <laughs> Look at this guy. He never gets out of prison. He's stuck in prison. And oh, by the way, the end is he gets beheaded. None of us are like, yeah, sign me up for that. That sounds great. Love to be a part of that. Those aren't the blessings that you and I want in our life, but that's what we we desire, isn't it? We went out of those places. We don't want to experience what, what John experienced here. And so when we talk about blessings that happen through our suffering, our minds always go to something physical, something really, really good. Like if, if I make it through this, this wilderness, you know what God's going to do? God's going to bless me. And the blessing is God's going to help me win the lottery. Right? It's kind of how our minds work. Hey, you know what? It is, when we get through this storm, God's going to, like a genie, give me three wishes and I'm going to get anything I want. Like that's our mindset sometimes that, that we feel like if we make it through these, these times of hurt and these tough times in life, then the blessings that we're going to get are these physical blessings in our life. And it's funny, by the way, how many of them are monetary in, in nature, but most of them aren't. In fact, I would say the majority of them are. Those blessings tend to be things like getting out of the valley or making it through the wilderness or being able to, to get back on the shore from the storms that hit us. Or those blessings may be forgiveness, and peace, and love, and joy. Maybe, maybe it is an answer to prayer. Maybe it's just a little bit of an answer to prayer for us. Maybe we can experience something like that in our life, that those, those blessings that come are, are not always what we expect. And, and I would even say it could be that our blessings that we get are just like what I think John got. His blessings weren't in this lifetime. His blessings were in the life to come. And maybe for some of us, that's sort of the path that we end up taking. But those blessings don't come in this life. Maybe it's in the life to come because God blesses those who don't fall away because of what God didn't do. We see those words up there, up on the screen, and we can sort of understand them, but then we look at our own lives and, and we think, why, why would God let me get to that point? I mean, Scripture says God will never give me more than I can handle, right? So since Scripture says that, I'm at this place where I just can't handle the, the valley and the wilderness and, and the storms that I'm in. So, so why is this happening to me? Well, I hate to break it to you, but that, that quote, that phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle, is not biblical at all. At some point in time, someone came up with that statement and started sharing it, and everybody was like, I like that. That's good. That's the kind of God I want, <laughs> right? And so people started sharing. I was talking to somebody after this service, and she's like, 
I use that a lot. She's like, I got to stop doing that. I never thought about that. I was like, yeah, it's not in the Bible. Here's what's in the Bible. You know where we get this from? We actually get it from Paul, and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Here's what it says. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. See, Paul writes about temptation. He's like, hey, you, you may be tempted and you may think you can't get out of it, but God's not going to allow it to be to this place where you can't get out of it. He, Paul's talking about temptation, not saying that God's going to give you, not going to give you more than you can handle. That's not what scripture says here. And so I think this is why a lot of us, we struggle with these expectations we have of God. And, and I think we kind of treat God like um, helicopter parents. I'm guessing in this room, there's probably one or 25 of you right now I guess that thing right your, your kid and you're you're hovering you're waiting you're watching and right about the time that they get ready to do something dumb or they do something you just swoop in and you're like I got you I'm going to protect you and, and that's kind of what we do as parents often I think we kind of look at God as a helicopter God and so God in our mind is kind of waiting and hovering and and then something happens you know we hit the valley the wilderness the storm whatever it may be and and God's going to swoop in and pull us out of that and everything's going to be wonderful why because God's never going to give us more than we can handle. Hey, guess what? Life gives us more than we can handle. There are going to be times that you feel like you cannot go on. There are going to be times where you feel like the suffering is never going to end. The pain will never go away. And you know what? It may not. But how do we take our, our next steps in those moments? How do we make it through the next day? Well, I think we take that same encouragement Jesus gave to John for ourselves. God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. God blesses those who don't fall away because of what God didn't do. Can, can I tell you that um, it doesn't matter how good a person you are. It doesn't matter how many gifts you bought for Christmas wishes. It doesn't matter how many meals you have packed for our Generosity Feeds events. Doesn't matter how many people you lead to Jesus. Doesn't matter how many hours you spend in prayer, how many hours you spend in the church, how many hours you spend reading the Bible. Doesn't matter how much you give. It doesn't matter how well you follow Jesus. When you're down in the valley, when you're wandering in the wilderness, when you're stuck in those storms, how good you are does not equate to what God will do for you. So the question we have to wrestle with is can we stay connected to God when God doesn't do what we expect? Can we stay connected to God when God doesn't do what we expect? I think we need to understand that God actually fills our suffering. And I believe we have to understand that God is in our suffering. I believe that because it goes back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. There's a big word for this, a big church word. You probably, uh, if you grew up in a church, uh, especially more formal churches, you probably know it, incarnation. Um, again, it's, it's a big word. So I'm going to give you the definition of incarnation right now. We're going to put it up here on the screen, see if this connects with you. The doctrine of incarnation holds that Jesus, the preexistent divine logos, 
In the second hypostasis of the Trinity, God the Son and Son of the Father, taking on a human body and human nature, was made flesh and conceived in the womb of Mary, the Theotokos. Did you guys get that? I know you guys are smart, so I'm just going to move on from that. We're not even going to worry about that, okay? That's, there's a lot of words in there, right? Um, I grew up in church. I've been in full-time ministry 24 years. I, um, I went to a school to study theology, and I even had to go back and read some of those words a few times and figure out some definitions and mostly how to pronounce them. What does this mean, all right? It, it means God the divine became human through the person of Jesus. And Jesus had these human qualities, right? Jesus knew compassion and love and emotions. Jesus experienced physical pain. And we know that because of the cross. Jesus also experienced emotional pain. And we know that through some things that happened to him and in relationships that he had with other people. But we also know that through the cross. What's the one big question he asked? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, where are you? What's going on? What's happening here? See, as we think about who Jesus was at the time that he was alive, we understand that God is with us through the person of Jesus. And we still understand that because Jesus was resurrected and came back to life. And so, so God fully understands our pain, our sufferings, and our emotions because of Jesus. I love how Philip Yancey, the writer, puts it. He puts in Jesus, we see the face of God, and that face is streaked with tears. It means that, that God is with us. God is around us. God is a part of our world. God is in our valleys, and God is in our wildernesses, and God is in, in our storms. That God is present. But in the end, you and I, we, we have to choose. We have to choose whether we embrace God, even though God may not meet the expectations we have of God. Or, or we can choose not to embrace God. We can choose to move on from God because God doesn't meet those expectations we have of God. In fact, we, we find this in Scripture in John chapter 6 is a story of where Jesus feeds the 5,000 and he uh, does this incredible miracle. He's been teaching all day. He is worn out. He's tired. He needs a break. And so he heads off for the evening. The next day he wakes up and the crowds find him. They show up. And they're like, hey, hey, Jesus, do something cool for us again. Show us another miracle. Teach us a bunch of stuff. And, and Jesus is done at this point. And here's what he says in John chapter 6, starting with verse 26. He says, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. Jesus says, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. Jesus says, I I'm not going to feed you because that's the expectation you have of me. And if you know the story, you, you know that many of those people that day they left. They're like, why, why isn't he doing what we want? He should do what we want. And in fact, it says some of the people that were following Jesus, even they decided they were done with Jesus at that time because Jesus wasn't meeting their expectations anymore. Then here's what he says to his disciples in verse 66. He says, are you also going to leave? All these other people are leaving. Are you going to leave too? But, but look what Peter says to Jesus in verse 68. Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. 
Think about that. Jesus' disciples didn't fall away because of what Jesus didn't do. They had to make a choice. They said, oh, yeah, we've, we've definitely got these expectations of Jesus. And if you read more about these disciples, you know they have some pretty lofty uh, and worldly expectations of Jesus. But at the same time, they, they understood who he really was and, and what he really meant. And, and, and so Peter says, hey, Jesus, where else would we go? Who else would we follow? Because no matter what, you hold the answers. You are the one that brings us peace. You are the one that brings us hope. I don't know why God doesn't always heal. I don't know why God doesn't always help. I don't know why God doesn't always jump in and save. I don't know why God doesn't always answer our, our prayers. And in fact, I mean, you read scripture and I don't think the Bible emotionally uh, answers those questions for us. But this question that Peter gives back to Jesus, I think is one that we have got to hold on to ourselves. That even when we have these expectations of Jesus, even when we think, hey, I'm doing all this good stuff, Jesus or God, you should answer these, these prayers. You, can, you should come in, you should help, you, you should save you should save me. You should save us. I think we got to come back to this, this question here. Of where else will we go? And when we're about ready to give up on God, we're ready to move on because it doesn't feel like God's meeting our expectations. Where else will we go? How will we deal with those valleys? How will we find our way out of the wilderness? How will we get out of the storms? I say that because I feel like that's what I've learned in my life. But there have been these valleys and wildernesses and wildernesses and, and storms that that I've I found myself in, that our family has found ourselves in. And I'm not gonna lie, we, we've had these expectations of God, but sometimes you just gotta you gotta wipe those expectations away. And, and you have to rely fully on God. Now, sure, we can say, hey, God, we hope there's blessings that come out of this. And there definitely have been, but, but maybe those blessings aren't in this lifetime. Maybe these blessings are in the life to come. And the only reason that we have learned that as, as myself or as a family is, is because we've experienced those moments. And we didn't know where else to go. The only place we knew to go was to God. And through that, we've been able to watch God at work in so many ways. Where will you go? See, God is with us. And we know that because of Jesus. And those blessings for you will come. Again, it may be in this life. Probably not the kind of blessings you desire. But it's the one that, that God wants for you. And it may be that those blessings come in the life to come. And so when we're hurting, when we're suffering, when we're in pain, when life is tough, when we're in those valleys and wildernesses and in those storms, may we go back to that passage in Matthew 1.23. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us.